It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, I know a lot of you at your Thanksgiving celebrations were looking for alternative conversations to the weather, alternative conversations to the traffic, and for the sake of sanity and harmony, a lot of alternative conversations to politics. And if there's one thing that could be maybe even more polarizing than politics these days, it might be the world of sports. So I don't know what it was like for you at your family table, but one of the things that was discussed far and wide around our family table was real estate. Hey, when are you going to buy a house? Hey, uh, I can't afford to buy a house here. I'm going to look to Pennsylvania. I'm going to look to Tampa. Hey, what are we going to do about these interest rates? So I I thought, why don't we reach out to the go-to real estate expert, someone that is not only the founder and president of Empire State Properties, which is a boutique real estate firm in New York, but somebody that has a terrific podcast, which deals not only with real estate issues, but uh, all sorts of issues, a podcast that I've become a big fan of. And it turns out even on the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, she's taking a break from uh, waiting in line at Walmart to get trampled for uh, a flat screen television. Suzanne Miller was kind enough to join us on the radio. Suzanne Miller, founder and president of Empire State Properties and the host of the Miller Report podcast. Suzanne, it's great to talk to you. Thank you, Frank. What an introduction. And I really appreciate you listening to the Miller Report. No, no doubt about it. And uh, I've uh, really been impressed not only at the quality of guests that you've had, but the kind of interviews that you've that you've done with them, which we'll talk about in a, in a second. How was your Thanksgiving? What is uh, what does the Miller family do on Thanksgiving? The Miller family makes the rounds. You know, we have to keep everybody happy. I bring pies to each family member and I've done Westchester, Long Island and New York City. So I've been, like, I've, been I've been in the car a lot. I can imagine. What's your go-to pie? Are you pumpkin? Are you apple? Are you uh, mincemeat? Are you strawberry rhubarb? What's the pumpkin? What's the pie of choice? It's got to be a hot apple pie with some vanilla ice cream on top. Oh my goodness! I didn't think it would be possible, but you've already made me hungry. That sounds uh, sounds quite delicious. Uh, you've been very accomplished in the field of real estate for a long time. Now uh, you're doing this podcast, which everybody is talking about, and even folks that don't necessarily uh, make a habit of listening to podcasts, they've probably heard you on with John Katzmatidis on the Cats Roundtable and uh, several other radio shows. How does doing a podcast compare to your experience in the world of real estate? Uh, Does the things that you've been doing in real estate kind of prepare you for the world of podcasts at all, or is it a a totally different animal? It's funny. I just finished with ladies for this Sunday's uh, roundtable, and that's one of the things we talked about. We talked about how the most important thing in all cities is obviously safety, but with safety comes real estate values, and that's what keeps the city humming. So if we don't have safety, people will not invest in real estate. They won't want to live in our cities. So I really think it's hand in hand, safety and real estate. And that, so my real estate experience combined now with my experience by talking to these politicians that help make the law is making me an expert. And it's been a lot of fun and very, uh, very informative. 
one of the things, speaking of John Katsimatidis, he knows a thing or two about real estate himself. One of the things that he's been saying over the course of the last two years, both on the radio and to me privately, is that the uh, ticking up of these interest rates to, up until recently anyway, um, the highest that we've seen in many decades, was going to be devastating for the real estate market. I'm wondering if you can speak to that. What effect have these uh, interest rate hikes had on real estate? I understand that the uh, the motive behind it was to break the back of inflation. Has that worked? And what has it meant for the real estate business? So the mortgage rates right now are around 7.5%. They came down from about 7.8%. And I think it's hovering around 75 It's down a half a point. I don't think that is really going to affect the market any more, more than it's mostly people want to feel confident. They want to feel safe. They want to feel like there is safety in what they're going to buy. And they want to be able to know that if they're going to invest in something, they need to know that there's going to be some consistency and some safety. That to me is more, the uncertainty is what drives the market down. That always drives the market down. That people are not sure. When I bought my first home, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. I talked about it on Fox News. It was probably 11%. So 7.5% is not that much. It's not going to make people make a decision to invest in this market or not. What will make the decision is if they feel like this market is, is going to be so unstable they're going to lose all their value. So that, to me, is the biggest issue right now. We go back to safety. We go back to our streets. We go back to our political leaders that are leading us to what's going on, and real estate is right underneath that. If people are just tuning in, uh, we're talking with Suzanne Miller. You can catch her regularly on the Miller Report. Just search that in any podcast app or just go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com and search the uh, the Miller Report. The Daily Mail had reported, uh, Suzanne, that um, sales of previously occupied homes fell to their slowest pace in more than 13 years last month. Is that a reflection of economic realities, people not having money to buy homes? Is it a reflection of some sort of a, a cultural shift or is it a reflection of the kind of thing that you're talking about, concerns about safety, or is it something else? So let's just be clear, Frank, when we talk about sales, there's a difference between sales prices and sales transactions. So a transaction would be how many deals are happening, how many sales are actually happening in a particular city. The transactions are down tremendously. I say I, I would say tremendously, 5%. They're down because if I have a mortgage of 3%, I'm not going to sell that to buy something that's going to cost me 7%. So the amount of listings, as we call them, are not really on the market as much as they have been. So the transactions are down. The sales prices in New York City, they're down maybe 5%, 5 to 10%. But again, because people are holding on. They're not listing the properties. The transactions are down but the actual price has not. In New York City, and I'll include Brooklyn, it's probably the average price for a one-bedroom is still hovering around $825,000 for mm. a purchase price. So again, the price has not really come down. It's come down about 4% in New York, but it's the transactions, it's the amount of trading that's going on that's down. Uh, understood. And I appreciate that clarification. And that's the, exactly the kind of reason that I uh, enjoy listening to the Miller Report, because you boil down uh, things that might be a little abstract and might be difficult for the layman to understand in easy to understand 
terms, one of the things I pride myself on is having a diverse social group in terms of age. I have friends that are uh, 90, literally, and friends that are uh, that are 20 and everyone in between. And what I've noticed is that there's a tremendous frustration with people under the age of 35. There is a feeling that unlike their parents' generation, where if you played by the rules, went to school, worked hard, saved a little bit of money, you'd be able to afford a home. There's a feeling among young people that you can't do that anymore. And more than one uh, you know, under 40-year-old has said to me on many an occasion, they feel that the American dream, which is typically uh, symbolized by home ownership, is no longer attainable for them. How do you feel about that, Susanna? I'm sure you've looked at that and thought about that a great deal. Is the American dream of home ownership for a young family still attainable on a middle class salary? I think when you compare the sales price versus a rental, it does make sense. I think that if you go, you have to put down 10 or 20 percent. So you have to scrape up about $80,000 and the price of a mortgage is going to cost you about the same price as a rental. An average rental price is probably about $4,000 a month. So we're not that off. But if you want to talk about the aging population, it's good for states like Florida or Arizona or the Carolinas, where there's no state income tax, only federal. So those states, for the aging population, the elder people seem to be going towards those areas. As a matter of fact, Florida is the only area that actually went up in sales prices, up Hmm. by about 5%. Where other states went down, Florida, because of the aging population, that value seemed to have gone up. One of the things that got a lot of attention recently is this uh, federal jury decision uh, about a month ago where the home sellers won $1.8 billion after a jury found a conspiracy, essentially what they said was a conspiracy among realtors. The National Association of Realtors is uh, promising to appeal. A lot of sellers are hoping that this results in lower, you know, in, uh, you know, in a more fair deal among, uh, you know, people looking to sell their homes. A lot of people that are real estate brokers, full-time or part-time, are concerned about what this means for their livelihood. Set us straight on this, Suzanne. What does this $1.8 billion verdict actually mean for the consumer? What does it mean for real estate brokers? Okay, it's a good question. And we just, again, talked about this at the uh, John's Roundtable. It's going to come out this Sunday. So it's like a stock. So people used to use a stockbroker, and now they're going to go direct. Mostly, it will, it will impact the younger people that don't want to go to a broker. So if I have a home, let's try and make it as simple as possible. If I have a home and I want to sell it, in the past, I would list my property with Empire State Properties as an example. And Imagine. Empire State Properties do their best. They would list it for, let's say, 6% or 5%. And Empire State Properties would go into the market, list it. And then if I had to pay a co-broker, a buyer that brought me a client... I would have to pay that buyer the 3% of the six I was getting. What's happened is the laws, as of January 1, a seller, the only way that a buyer can get paid is if the seller themselves hires that buyer's broker. So Mm. I, as the broker, will no longer have the ability to make the market myself and bring in another buyer. It's really just a matter of semantics because I'm going to list that same property for 3%, not 6 because that's really what I would have net anyway. So now I'm going to pay less. I'm going to get less commission. So again, to make it simple, I'm going to take Frank's apartment that was 6%. Now I'm going to get it for 3% because I don't have to pay a buyer. 
But if I really want to sell that property, I'm going to go and a buyer comes to me. I'm going to tell the seller, hey, you you have to pay me because you were already on contract with me. Now you should pay this buyer's broker because they're the ones with the buyer. So it really just shifts the responsibility and the fiduciary from the seller to the buyer now has to be represented by the seller as well. The broker no longer has the power to hire a, a, a broker, another broker. So the only way that a buyer could get paid is if the seller hires two people. And I think this is going to affect the market because most people, it's it's like a stock. So mm. you used to go to a stockbroker, but now you can go direct. And I think a young person, they're going to try and save commission. They're going to go online and they're going to try and find their own properties. They're not going to want to hire a buyer. But again, there's, there's always exceptions. And I do think that if I am a buyer and I want to buy something, I'm going to, I may not want to pay a buyer's broker, but for the better properties, maybe it won't be listed. So you're going to have to you know, be creative. And I don't think it'll upset the industry that much. So it sounds like potentially it could be a win for consumers. It could be a win. But again, if I want to sell a property and I'm listing mm-hmm. it for a million dollars, if I have to pay another 3%, I'm happy to do that to get it sold. Right. So right. I just can't yeah, leave it up to the broker to do that. I will have to hire the buyer's broker. Uh, understood. Uh, we're talking with Suzanne Miller. Uh, she's with uh, Empire State Properties, also the host of the Miller Report podcast. Now, Suzanne, at Empire State, you guys do both sales and rentals, right? Correct. Correct. So uh, if you were weighing at this point as a consumer um, a move towards a rental or a purchase, what would you do? At this point, I mean, this is kind of the age old question, and I feel like the the correct answer might be different at different times in American economic history. At this point, if you're weighing renting or buying, what would you do? So it's again, I'm going to bring this back to the stock market. You, you buy a stock when everybody else is throwing up, right? You buy a stock when nobody else wants to. I think this could be an, an and I'm saying this wholeheartedly. I think it could be a fantastic opportunity for somebody to get a really good deal because people right now are nervous. They're shaky. We're talking about a budget cut in New York. Mayor Adams was on the Miller Report last week. He talked about because of the migrants, we have to cut, cut, cut. We're cutting sanitation. We're cutting Board of Education. We're cutting. And people are concerned. Investors are concerned. So this would be the time if I saw a place for a million dollars, I'd make a low offer because I have to pay rent anyway. And there's there's a scarcity of inventory on the rental side. Mm. So you might as well, if you're going to pay, you might as well own something. So I think this would be an opportunity to enter the market and make low offers and try and stabilize myself in, in owning. That's what I would do. It's always better to own. I, I, I realize that, um, you know, probably residential is, um, you know, more your specialty than commercial, but I'm betting, you know, a lot more about commercial real estate than I do. And uh, one of the things that people have sort of been wondering on the commercial front since the pandemic is with more and more businesses allowing folks to work from home, what becomes of these massive office buildings that are either already built or in the planning stages? And a lot of folks, especially a couple of years ago, when it looked like work from home was going to be a permanent thing, were saying that maybe this is uh, an opportunity to grab commercial real estate at a discounted deal. Given the new work from home culture, which more and more companies seem to be allowing, where do you see commercial real estate going forward, Suzanne? Uh, it's funny. I, I do have to give credit to a man by the name of Dale Schlather. He is a vice chairman in Cushman and Wakefield, and he helps me a lot. He gives me the market status on commercial a lot. So 
giving a shout out to you, Dale. He really does tell me what's going on in the market on the commercial side. And there are a lot of transactions going on right now, uh, particularly in the A buildings, Hudson Yards. Wherever you have a new building, you're getting record rents, $200 a foot and up on a record A building or a building where an investor has spent money to keep that building up fresh, new elevators, light. And then you have the B buildings all along 3rd Avenue, some of them on 6th Avenue, a lot in the FIDI area. And those B buildings that people have not spent money on are going to see a bloodbath because people, Hmm. they don't have to come to work. You had vacancy before COVID. People were, these buildings were not doing well before COVID and now coupled with people don't have to be in New York. They don't have to walk, they don't have to be in New York City. So you're going to have to invest in your building. Otherwise, it's going to keep selling till it's lower, 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 and then someone will pick it up and we'll start all over again. I caught the uh, recent interview that you did with Mayor Adams, which I thought was really interesting, not just on the budget cut issue, but on a bunch of issues you guys touched upon. I also caught the interview a week or two before with former Governor Andrew Cuomo. It's now being reported that uh, Governor Cuomo is looking at running for mayor if uh, Mayor Adams' legal troubles get the better of him and he's either not able to run for reelection or he has to uh, he has to resign before the end of his term. Did you get the impression that uh, that that would be something Governor Cuomo would look at a mayoral run? What does your gut tell you about Governor Cuomo's political future? I think Governor Cuomo is born a politician, and I think that he will any opportunity that comes to serve. I think he will. I do think that. I mean, I'd be sad for me to see Mayor Adams leave. I think that he's doing his best given the situation. It would be sad for the city because that would be a city. But I I think that Governor Cuomo has an excellent shot and I would endorse him and I think that he'll win. Well, we're going to have to come back uh, if that comes to fruition, because we may have to have a little bit of a debate on uh, on that issue. But we'll save that for another day. Uh, You I know you spoke with uh, another former New York governor, George Pataki, recently. I I know that uh, podcast episode's coming out next week. Give us a preview. What did Governor Pataki have to add? Oh, I asked Governor Pataki. I said, so how would you handle because he really led us through September 11th and he really was the leader. And he was I lived down there at the time and I just remember hugging him and. He embraced the city. And as a matter of fact, real estate prices went up by 20% six months after September 11th. There was a little dip for a nanosecond, then it went right back up. So I, I thank him for that. And I think he did a great job in uniting us. And I said, so how would you handle, I'm giving you an example, how would you handle the protests on both sides in these campuses saying death to Israel and death to America? And his answer was, I'd lock them up. I mean, he really, he said, We're gonna, we need more police. I would lower taxes to keep companies here. He was, he doesn't have any, he's not running for anything. So he really was being very candid and it was refreshing to see how he just cares about the city and he, there was no bars. He just, he just well, said everything. I'm looking forward to hearing hear that. It. Yeah, it was great. I will. I will. That's going to be posted Monday. Uh, just search the Miller Report. Hey, Suzanne, I've really enjoyed this. I hope we can do this again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me on your show. I do watch your show and I appreciate it. And I'm happy to come back anytime. Oh, I appreciate that. We're going to take you up on that. All Suzanne right. Miller, if you have comments on any portion of our conversation. You can give me a call 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'm sure a lot of you right around this time are awakening from a tryptophan induced coma. We are here for you. We're going to be with you until um, until the wee hours of the morning and until daybreak. This is the other side of midnight straight ahead.